culture of commerce has changed. How people shop has changed. How people spend money has changed. And perhaps more than anything else, where people shop and spend money has changed. Maybe you don't call yourself a brand loyalist, but you certainly will buy from some brands and not from others, be it products, services, experiences, or food. On today's episode of Hyperlink Radio, we talk about the changes that are affecting the culture of commerce, as well as some of our favorite brands. Hyperlink is hyperlink. Hyperlink Connection. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Hyperlink Radio, a show that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits, which also publishes the biannual magazine Hyperlink. Find us online at hyperlinkradio.io. Listen to Hyperlink Radio through iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jana Marin, Editorial Director at Winning Edits, and today I'm talking with our CEO, Matt Gartland. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hyperlink Radio. I'm Matt Gartland. And I'm Jana Marin. And today it's another fun duo show uh, with Jana and I, and we're going to dig into the culture of commerce, uh, probably starting way back uh, in the 80s. Uh, at least that's where I got my start, uh, starting to enjoy things in the universe uh, of, of culture uh, and consumerism and starting to to purchase goods that really started to kind of form an identity, right? You, you do that when you're, I don't know, uh, something in the like the eight to 10 year old range. And now I can remember getting snap bracelets was like a big thing back uh, as part of my growing up and starting to kind of inform, you know, my thoughts around, you know, uh, identity in school and, and how I'm interacting with things that are, are being sold and you wear and, and you develop some fandom around. Um, and to me, kind of the culture of commerce kind of starts there. Jan, where, where does it start for you? Actually, for me, it's a little later in life. Um, I grew up in a household where we were very like generic focused. We know we didn't spend money on name brands or, um, the fancy have to have backpacks every new school year. Um, so it was definitely like, oh, all the kids in school have the cool, um, Jan sport backpacks, I guess, or whatever. And we would just get like the no name brand from Costco. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And were you okay with that back then? Or maybe you didn't even have like a real understanding that there was almost like a differentiation. It was, um, it was definitely like, oh, I have something different from the rest of the kids, but I never, you know, because of just where my parents shopped and, and got our goods, I wasn't even really aware of where I could go to get the thing that all the other kids have. Gotcha. Okay. Did you join your parents when they went shopping? Uh, like, did you go back uh, to school shopping with them and and, you know, that's the backpack I wanted. Like, were you even sort of informing the purchase decisions back then? A little bit. You know, I got to pick out the color that I wanted or whatever. But it was 
Yeah, we definitely did most of our shopping at places like Costco, and it was kind of like whatever is there are the limited options, you know? Yeah, precisely. Uh, I don't have too many very vivid memories from like uh, years, you know, one to six. Um, and that's when, when we were living in Arizona. I was born in Arizona, but I remember vividly when we had moved to Chicago uh, somewhere in that like six to eight range and going to different shopping centers with, with my folks and starting to, to get stuff for school and being a little more attracted to the GI Joe t-shirts or the GI Joe pencils, you know, for school. Um, just a massive geek about all that stuff. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all those sorts of things had to have the, uh, the Mead notebooks, right. That had, you know, like Leonardo, uh, on the cover or something like that. So, um, I know that I was probably, um, a pest at some point and trying to, you know, inform decisions, but, uh, but was attracted to it. And, and that's obviously still happening now in, in different ways, shapes and forms. But, uh, it, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of our identities, especially as kind of children, you know, are informed through, through commerce, uh, at, at an early age. Yeah. So, uh, what was even interesting is, is, so there's the, the retail side of, of clothing, of, Notebooks and things for school, uh, certainly of, of toys and you know video games. Uh, in the uh, the Nintendo NES was a big thing for me uh, in like the the mid uh, to late '80s and all these uh, other sorts of things. But even food was interesting. Um, you know, I was I'd go I, I like going grocery shopping with with my mom um, and probably also having something of a not terribly helpful influence in terms of you know making purchase decisions with food. Did you ever like go grocery shopping with your parents? Yeah, I used to go grocery shopping and then even when I was older, um, I'm the oldest of four kids in my family and I have a brother and sister who are 9 and 11 years younger than I am. So when I got my driver's license, my mom would send me to the grocery store even by myself with a shopping list and the pin number to their debit card, you know? (laughs) Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. um, Yeah. But... But by that time, I was already sort of like trained in my mom's mentality of we always shopped based on cost and price point. And so definitely we're picking cereals from the bottom shelf of the cereal aisle. Never, never the top shelf name brand um, cereals, always the off brands still. Um, And even like with bread, I remember bread being one of the big sort of differentiators between me and the rest of the kids my age because my parents would always buy the, like, I guess it was sourdough bread. So it was like a different shape and a different texture and just just what they preferred. But we never had like the perfectly shaped white kind of your stereotypical wonder bread sandwich bread for lunches. Yep. Um. So yeah, definitely feeling like, okay, there's something different that like we're doing things differently from most of everyone else in in my world at least at that time how did those experiences kind of back then you know now playing it forward like how does that still perhaps inform your decision making now even though a lot of the the channels are different right uh we don't always go to massive malls or strip malls to to do shopping uh it's more uh potentially compartmentalized we we target online retailers for this thing, this thing, and this thing, and then maybe do some selective uh, in-store retail shopping. Um, but on, based on your early experiences, like, are, are you finding that certain decisions are, are the same or how are they, how have they evolved? 
I went, I think I went through a pretty big pendulum swing in from like from my early year, growing up adolescence, being influenced heavily by my parents to my early 20s where that was like first time I'm out on my own making independent buying choices completely autonomously to where I am now. Um, in my early 20s, I definitely was like, oh, I'm going to go shop as much as I want and buy whatever I want because I never had that ability previously. And I was definitely into the experience of um, uh, sort of like the discount um, discount department stores like the Rosses and Marshalls and TJ Maxx's where they have all of the name brand items, but they're like the overflow or overstock items that that don't get sold in the in the department stores and so they're marked down, right? Um and that experience for me was like, "Oh, I can get you know, 20 tops and they're all less than $10." <laughs> um but now as a a more informed, I would I would like to think of myself as a more informed um, consumer and adult, I am much more intentional and thoughtful around my purchases, um, primarily because I am much more aware of sort of the 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 unnecessary need of um, cluttering up my life with a bun- like having a closet full of clothes that I don't wear. You know? Oh, um, I hate that. That drives me bananas. Yeah. Especially now, yeah, later in life myself. Um, I've never really been a clothes person. Like, I'll maybe go clothes shopping, like, maybe once a year. And th- and that one shopping experience every year is, like, for a different season. So, like, one year it might be, okay, I'm going to go basically do a big uh, summer season kind of closing, uh, clothes shopping experience and get a bunch of new stuff because my stuff is – maybe gotten kind of old and then like the next year it'll be fall or winter stuff like that um i can't i can't stand going a whole bunch at least not in person and as much as even i adore obviously the proliferation of of e-commerce i'm still finding that i'm not just like shopping on a whim um if anything um I, i actually find that uh with with all the technology now uh, despite the fact that you're kind of getting bombarded on any social channel. So Instagram is my go-to social uh, consumption channel. And increasingly, like, there's different sorts of ads and things. And they're all very almost AI-driven at this point, artificial intelligence. Like, they're brands that I recognize or I've somehow been, you know, retargeted, um, you know, to, to get those ads. They're still not, like, like super, oh my, oh, my goodness, I have to click this thing and buy it right now. So, uh, to me, even like by being just staying physically out of the store, um, and using actually the technology as a buffer zone, like I'm actually finding that I'm making more intelligent decisions around, around purchases. Right. Does that translate for you? How does maybe you have a different experience? Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel the same way. Um, I'm definitely more inclined to just kind of pay attention to a brand and think to myself, okay, when I'm ready to, you know, get, you know, it's time to restock on my underwear stash or whatever. I'm going to like remember that brand or like go see what they have when I'm ready to make the purchase. But it's definitely not like, oh, I'm in a store and I'm just piling up my basket full of cheap clothes because they're cheap. So it's definitely much more thoughtful shopping with the technology experience 
And the thoughtfulness too for me is um, translates into the values of the brand, which I was going to ask you about because I'm curious to know whether you have this experience. I'm much more thoughtful around, okay, here's a brand where they're sourcing their materials um, organically and fair trade and it's an ethical production as opposed to just like the mass production of what, you know, what's often known as fast fashion. I, yeah, I don't, you're probably far more educated and observant on those trends than I am. Uh, I am becoming more aware and, and increasingly trying to, yeah, do some brand research or, I mean, stupid little things like just reading the tags, you know, if, if I'm in store and trying to figure out where, where they're sourcing from. Um, I'm increasingly sensitive to it. Uh, it's becoming, yeah, a, a more prominent uh, purchase decision uh, data point for me. Uh, definitely fast fashion at large, I try to stay away from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just have this this old, like I can hear my, my mom in my head right now saying like, you know, n- not necessarily to make extravagant purchases or like lavish ones, but like get nice quality things and then take care of them. Right. right. And then they last. Right. So so that's always sort of been my mentality. And there are, you know, new niche brands that are, I think, adopting that sort of stuff. Uh, I guess if I have any sort of style direction right now, which is weird even for me to say out loud. Um, you're gonna have to help me with this, Jana. What's the one that it's like athletic fashion driven? There's a term for it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Um, that's, that's a fail. Uh, there's a term nonetheless for like wearing, say, uh, Under Armour, uh, a whole bunch or wearing, uh, Lululemon or, or stuff like that. Right. Uh, my sister would know what this is. Anyway, I find just for sheer sort of function and comfort, like I look toward more like almost athletic driven kind of kind of clothing. And in, in that sort of that side of the industry of retail, there is a lot that's manufactured overseas. So I am trying to be more sensitive of that. Uh, there's a brand Roan Apparel uh, that I actually really like um, uh, through a, a different agency, you know, had done actually some work with them. Uh, which was a great experience, and they, they make uh, a, a great product. Uh, I want to say that a lot of it is is USA based. Um, I would doubt maybe all of it is, but yeah, that's the sort of sensitivity. You know, does it does it is it functional for me? Is is a big thing? Um, is it is it comfortable? And yeah, can it support some of uh, kind of the the increasing values that that, that matter to me from a from a material standpoint? Mm-hmm. Are you talking about athleisure? Yes, that's the one. Maybe Google. It the <laughs> I just Googled there. it. That's athleisure. That's the darn okay. term. I've never heard that term before now, so learn Ath- something new. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so my, my sister works uh, at Abercrombie right. and is in their digital marketing program and has had a lot of responsibility kind of across their email channel, across their uh, even SMS channel and trying to do more with SMS and now – uh, has absorbed some responsibility for their loyalty programs and loyalty programs. We could probably talk about themselves for a while, but yeah, it's interesting to get her perspective from the inside of, of a major brand uh, and a brand that has actually had a lot of difficulty uh, recently. I can remember, you know, years ago when you know Abercrombie was like the really preppy, everyone had to have it brand back when I was in high school. Right, I actually mm-hmm. worked at Abercrombie retail uh, between no, 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 it was my winter holiday freshman year in, of college. So you, know, you, you come home, you make some holiday money, um, that sort of thing. 
And, you know, that brand has changed and evolved so dramatically. And you have to get a lot of that from the inside for her. But they're going through sort of another big branding change. Uh, they're not necessarily athleisure, um, but they are sort of trying to become, uh, I think, more than this sort of, uh, they became just very sort of edgy for a while. And now they're trying to even, you know, pivot from that. So one thing that my, my sister, you know, uh, she's not directly on, say, the website side of like e-commerce for, for Abercrombie uh, and now sort of even the Hollister brand because that fits into it. Um, but, you know, she has a perspective that, uh, that I'm getting more into, which is actually revisiting the in-store experience. So uh, she's a millennial, you know, like, like me. Um, we increasingly are doing uh, things online and on mobile and, and, and uh, the e-commerce experiences, but uh, I'm increasingly getting attracted to go back in store. Um, and I don't think I'm alone. Like I'm seeing more of this. Uh, I know some of the guys at Chubby Shorts too, through uh, another agency that uh, I've done some work out through. And I even just recently learned that they're strategically looking to do more, more stores themselves. Like that, that's a brand that has just been on wildfire online and got their start online. They're entirely e-commerce. Uh, they had like one little flagship store out in San Francisco, uh, sort of like a pop-up shop. And now they're expanding to, I think it's around like eight, uh, pushing maybe 10 pop-up stores in very targeted markets across the country. So there's this interesting sort of resurgence now, you know, pendulum maybe swinging a little bit back in the other direction, despite the fact that we're just pumping tons of attention and dollars, you know, into, you know, consumer-based, um, you know, experiences through digital means uh, and the culture of it all. Uh, but some of my culture feels like it's swinging back into the indoor cultural experience. So, Janet, like, are you caught up in any of that as well? A little bit. I was just wanting to ask to clarify. Did you say that Chubby's is doing pop-up shops or are they doing like um, traditional brick and mortar? Yeah, no, good question. Um, based on what I know, uh, it's more of the pop-up variety. And okay. and I, I, I don't know how this may be relates with some other very iconic and sort of trend-setting brands right now, such as Warby Parker and Bonobos and sort of the ilk uh, of those brands that really did get their start online, but have now actually really interesting and, and very captivating sort of in-store physical experiences. Um, it feels like maybe Chubby's is trying to do something similar, but what I know from Chubby's, uh, just based on kind of the, the economics of it, is that they're not kind of going in and looking to, you know, enter in really long-term leases, right? Or, right. or definitely not like buy buildings, right? That's that's very that's very almost like 1980s, uh, at least from from my experience, 1980s, 1990s, sort of uh, the the culture of commerce where you go to not even like the uh, the very sort of elegant outdoor shopping experiences where there's still a lot of stores, but you're like you're still like walking outside to, from store to store, but instead like you're just in a massive massive mall, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so that seems to really be, tr you know, not per se dying, dying, but definitely like evolving out or evolving into this next, this next thing, which feels like it's like these little stores that probably from a business standpoint, don't have a, a whole lot of overhead attached to them because they're a, more of the pop-up variety. Um, and then they're kind of clustering. I, I was even just back in Pittsburgh the other weekend for my mom's birthday. And we were down in one of the, uh, the parts of town that's sort of being, uh, gentrified again or regentrified and uh, sort of almost like the hipstery community, right? And like there's this one little stretch that had uh, the new Warby Parker store right next to the new Bonobo store, right next to the new Homage store. 
you know, all these kind of like boutique brands, right? Uh, and I could easily see there being like a chubby store like right next door. And it's, it's for me as a consumer and the culture that I like and the brands that I want to, you know, resonate with and hopefully that resonate with me, right? Kind of have shared values. You know, that's the sort of shopping experience I'd go to probably with like an artisan coffee in my hand because I like that too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention this brand that I actually just recently got turned on to called Airy and it's um, underwear and like activewear for women and they're doing something very similar what you're describing in fact they're like in the middle of what they're just what they're calling a pop-up tour so they're um, entirely online e-commerce brand but they're doing this tour where their pop-up store is happening for just a couple days in targeted markets so and they're going from one market to the next and traveling um which i thought was super smart because just looking at them online i i haven't even gone so far as to see if they're going to be near me but i'm definitely seeing their stories on instagram thinking oh i wonder if they're going to be near me and if they are i would love to go because it it beyond just the shopping experience they're doing um other like interactive experiences for people who come to the pop-up shop. It's not just a shopping experience. It's also like a social experience basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know of that brand, but I get the vibe and, and it sort of is a much bigger sort of vibe or, or potential trend than even say just retail. Uh, there's, there's new coffee shops opening up here in the city of Columbus that, sort of apply a similar sort of groundswell socializing campaign, I, I guess campaign word, where you get all this leaked sort of content essentially, you know, through Instagram or through, you know, the, the, the local publications here in Columbus, we have 614 magazine, which is fantastic and free. Uh, there's Columbus which is just a fantastic resource to kind of find like, okay, what's next and what's maybe a bit of the, you know, of the unconventional variety of, of thing, whether it's retail or an ice cream store or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So you build anticipation, you tell really good stories, which obviously for us in the content space is near and dear to our hearts. And then, yeah. And then like when that thing pops up, you, you have, you have an audience ready for you. Well, and what, one of the things that I'm seeing with what Ari is doing is that the way they have told their brand story and built their audience is that the these pop-up shop um, locations are an opportunity for their fans to go and meet other people like them. It's like a way to meet your tribe, basically, because these are the the brand is all about um, like being the real you, and they don't retouch their models and. So it's very much promoting like be your true authentic self, be who you are, love your body. It's it's the the new um, the new vibe of media in um, women in the media, I think, is this it's kind of this new wave of the younger generation of women taking over the media and controlling the image of of women in the media. And it's really causing a swell of these very, you know, these very loyal fans who now they have an opportunity to go and meet people who are also into that, that vibe, I guess is the best way to describe it. That's interesting. That's really cool. So, and that's all happening, uh, or at least maybe that one brand in particular in the Sacramento area or how, oh, how much no, of this no. is? Oh, no, no, they're going all over, they're going all over the country. Like their first stop was in Madison, Wisconsin. They're next, they're going to be in Cleveland, Ohio next. 
So that's why I was saying before, like, I ha- I don't know if they're going to be near me, but it's def- just watching them online has made me think and wonder, oh, gosh, are they going to be near me? I need to go look it up and see what other stops are on their tour. Yeah, I, I can't think of another brand that ha- is maybe doing it to that to that scale. That sounds like a pretty large scale. Oh, definitely. And from what I can tell, they have brand ambassadors in the markets who are also like helping with the effort of getting people out and setting up the shop yep. and the whole thing. So And and that's a big part, or at least it sounds like that's a big part of the cultural aspect now, you know, of, of commerce, right? Is that these experiences, whether they are now maybe maybe digitally driven first through through a social channel or through an e-commerce experience. Um, or that begin to emerge or intensify through still some sort of an in-person experience, whether it's a pop-up shop or, or not, it's that there is a, a cultural you know, identity that we're starting to, to formulate in different ways uh, because we're going on this journey with these brands. We're, we're staying in more frequent communication even you know, you know, with these brands that is increasingly like a two-way you know, communication um, you know, with the brands. So it's not like, oh, I, I love... Um, what would a, a good example be almost from my youth, right? So uh, I guess, you know, something in the lines of a, of a GI Joe something or other, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a toy and, and maybe toys, toys are harder than just uh, clothing, clothing lines and brands in that way. But like, there is no, th- despite my affinity, you know, for, for GI Joes, or at least as a kid, like there wasn't a deep relationship with the brand per se. I just, I like playing with the action figures. Uh, but, you know, now we have an opportunity to actually talk with, you know, brand people that can talk back to us on Twitter or, or Instagram or Facebook. Um, and we can actually wear their clothing and, and begin that self-identification in, in a bigger way. Right. And with what brands are doing with their storytelling, it's almost like they're taking advantage of the opportunity to harness the this idea of like changing the 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 landscape, right? With, with the example of Aerie and the, the way that women are per- portrayed in the media, that's just one example, but there's other brands like, um, Bomba socks and their mission to give a pair of socks to the homeless community with every purchase. So there's these brands who are like harnessing the power of the commerce transaction to transform the landscape of some some cultural space and the fans by extension are contributing to that change. There's a bigger underlying um, movement happening when we talk about culture, the culture around commerce, because it's not just about, oh, I need a new pair of shoes for the new season. It's about where am I going to spend that money and what can that money do beyond just providing me my pair of shoes? Yes, certainly. There's there's a philanthropic kind of dimension to it in some cases anyway. Uh, there's a potential even like environmental aspect to it. Uh, certainly, I think of Tom's shoes that and I don't know to what degree they get credit for maybe um, originating the idea of like donations. Right. But but they are phenomenal uh at it themselves and and i think really popularized it uh, if anything so so they do that fantastically well um yeah I, i'm familiar with the bombas brand too love love that brand um and then yeah you can just target target these different brands and build your you know i dare say wardrobe that way so you have for your socks you have thomas for your shoes and um like yeah um 
so so yeah it's it's an interesting way to like almost build a brand right i mean it, it's it's a brand of many brands like you're, you're building almost your own brand in that way as well and then you right. become sort of a, a cultural statement that when you you know you you go outside you travel and certainly you you always uh, are also quote unquote like voting with your credit card right uh based on where you know as you say like where you're where you're putting your dollars um yeah it's 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 more influencers as like an N of one, uh, and, and really looking at individuals to, to ultimately sort of, uh, at least for, from the brand standpoint, I think like catalyze a, an exponential sort of groundswell and search toward them, but the relationships are getting more individualistic. Right. Exactly. Um, so what, and, so what's on your wish list right now? Uh, my wish list for, yeah. Oh, just in terms of, oh, goodness. Yeah, Anything just I, in terms of like, okay, there's a brand that you've been eyeing for a while and you want, you want something, you want something from them. Sure. There's, there's always more athleisure stuff I could probably go after. Uh, I've actually sort of rediscovered the Eddie Bauer brand and probably because they're re- rediscovering themselves. So I can remember that also from my like middle school and high school days where sort of another sort of preppy line. Uh, but the the brand's origins actually were far closer to say like a North Face, like the the sort of like outdoor adventure gear, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like they have they're going back to that. Uh, and I don't haven't really fully studied their trajectory, but I think they kind of went through some some difficult times. Uh, so they they seem to be doing away with more of the uh, the professional clothing or how you would ever uh, or how you might describe that. And kind of getting more into in, back to their roots of this adventure stuff. So for for our honeymoon uh, that we just took, like I got some of the new Eddie Bowers stuff uh, through their wholesale store because um, I'm like you, definitely definitely conscious uh, around the dollars, and really enjoyed it. And they have some really versatile stuff that, again, for me, it's functional. Uh, it definitely still has a nice style component, but it's functional. It's comfortable. It fits well. So. There's there's more Eddie Bauer stuff that I'd like to to go get. They have great jackets now that we're kind of heading into more of the fall and winter season. Um, you know that I'd like to get. I don't think I've gotten like a new winter jacket in probably a decade. So like that <laughs> that could be a good thing. Um, so that's me. What about what about you, Jana? Well, I've been buying a lot of clothes from Everlane lately, and they're another brand that does. They do like um, trans full transparency where they do the cost of. Their their cost plus what a traditional retail markup would be plus what their markup would be so it's you know um, uh, it's meant to be like lower cost of the of the clothing that's like again um, ethically sourced and produced and all of that good stuff um, and so they have a a black dress you know, like a fall black dress that I've been eyeing. I think it's like $200 or something like that. So that still is a little pricey for me to just be like, okay, I'm going to go buy a $200 dress. But, um, well, I'm, I'm carefully considering my, my purchase before I actually put the, put the, put the item in my cart and push the buy button. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Absolutely. Another thing that I'm increasingly excited for and I probably spend more dollars on, uh, which is actually a pivot away from retail. We've spent a lot of time talking about retail and that is, I maybe, maybe that is sort of the, the tip of the spear when it comes to, you know, how the culture of commerce is, is evolving. Um, but I look at food. So I'm, I'm a huge health freak. Uh, my health is important to me. 
uh, have some health issues. My, my wife is a celiac, so there's a lot of sensitivity there. So from almost a budgeting standpoint, like we will, we will prioritize very healthy food and, and pay a bit more of a premium for it. And then, you know, kind of, you know, dial down the expenditures elsewhere. Right. Right. So, uh, so we do some mixed shopping, uh, when we go out and do our grocery shopping, you know, every weekend we'll, we'll go to Kroger and love Kroger. Uh, but we'll definitely also go to Whole Foods and certainly the, the, the big news of the last, uh, whatever it's been a couple weeks now, uh, is that Amazon acquired Whole Foods. Right. So some of that is just now starting to practically take effect uh, in stores. I think it was uh, about a week ago when uh, finally some some of the the in-house Whole Foods like 365 brand products uh, prices were dropping because that's that's kind of the you know Amazon's shtick uh, in part. But it's not just a tactic. You know, it's the strategy to make more wholesome food more accessible, and then to do that through obviously the power and ingenuity of, of Amazon from a technology and distribution standpoint. So like the innovation of what's happening just with grocery, right. Uh, as, as an industry unto itself is fascinating and how it connects with us through, uh, through technology, um, getting more into the almost subscription based models. And there's a lot of like little brands now that offer like food in a box programs, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, snacks of this type or, you know, gluten-free snacks of this type or uh, Blue Apron, which is like a whole meal kit in a box, right? Um, that's yep. super popular. So I'm really pumped to kind of see truly what Amazon has in store for for Whole Foods because, um, you know, I am I'm an unabashed fan. Uh, I, I like healthy foods. I like cooking. It's a great experience that Emily and I enjoy. So the you know, the, the whole culture of food is obviously something that maybe we will spend like a whole episode on sometime because we, if we, because we usually could. Um, but yeah, that's another thing where I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what's over the next hill for them. Um, and to, you know, be a part of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very similar to you, Matt, with a lot of dietary restrictions and, um, trying to be as healthy as I can be with food choices. Um, and that makes me think of another brand that I'm, interested in checking out yet but haven't done yet are you familiar with thrive market i actually just heard of thrive market uh and i like just loaded their webpage and it looks really cool so yeah i'm I'm keen to try it i know and you know my husband and i prefer to buy as much as we can locally but sometimes it makes sense where there's some package items that we're using on a regular basis where maybe we could get it more conveniently or less expensively or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. We're, we're very lucky to live in Sacramento, California, which is basically like the heart of agriculture in the state. So we don't lack for, um, healthy food choices just at the local farmer's market, or we have a natural foods co-op, which is locally owned and operated. So we're very lucky in that way. Um, but when it comes to, other, you know, I have to buy some, some specialized supplements for my diet um, regime that I follow. And those type of items aren't always readily available just at the store down the street. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, some of the, I don't take that many supplements, but I'm increasingly finding that through different subscription services, even just the ones that you can actually do through Amazon. Like there, there's a range of products. Uh, if you're an Amazon plus customer, that you can you can just put on like a monthly cadence, right? Like, right. hey, just you know, buy this vitamin or buy this protein powder, and I just I just want to have a box, you know, delivered once a month with all this stuff in, it, and that's that, you know. Right. 
because uh, you're then obviously you re- you're reducing the decision fatigue of having to make these decisions every single time. Um, it's just on autopilot. Certainly, the brands benefit from that too. So uh, that's yeah, so much else sort of as a another macro theme that weaves in and out of retail and grocery and probably just about everything. You, you think of Uber and Uber Eats, and that that's a cross section of transportation disruption with the disruption that's happening in food delivery, right? Um, all of this stuff is some combination of like one, the sharing economy, two, these subscription-based models, you know, three, being a more individualistic sort of relationship with brands and brands getting to know you more as like an individual human. So just being at the nexus point of all of that stuff is exciting. Um, I certainly can be challenging, but but I choose to, to look at it as like, hey, like this is obviously where we as a culture, uh, you know, as a society are, are going. So I'll go with it and learn about it. And and I think just through that, that continual awareness of, of new opportunities, new, new options, yeah, vote with my with my checkbook so to speak and and make some good choices yeah i'm with you yeah uh well i think we've explored a a range of stuff today jenna uh so so thank you it's it's been uh, a bunch of fun it probably teases up well for uh another one uh to to come here uh we never really did even talk about the uh the cultural uh culture of commerce side of travel which which you have a a tremendous point of view on as a super Airbnb host. So we need to get back to that topic at some point. Oh yeah. Uh, we could ma- do a whole episode on Airbnb by itself. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we, we definitely should. Uh, I mean, they're another tremendous influence on, you know, on what's happening now, um, at scale, uh, you know, in the culture of commerce. So let's leave that as a tease, uh, for, for everyone out there that, uh, we'll come back to that topic. So, uh, so Jana, awesome. What's maybe like your last kind of parting thought and, and hope for, I don't know, like the the next six months when it it comes to a lot of this stuff. I think for me and for what we're doing with Hyperlink Radio and in even Hyperlink Magazine is just to help others continually to be more conscious when they're like, like, you know, consciously making thoughtful choices about where they spend their money. I think that's that's the bottom line for for what we do with um, with our work as content creators, because we're. We're continually um, helping our clients to tell their story in the best way that they can. And that the purpose of that and the, the purpose of those stories is to help the audience and the people in the world make more informed choices with whatever those choices be, whether it's a, 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 a commerce choice or just a choice to go into business for themselves or to um, take a course to learn a new skill. Um, every, every time we're interacting with brands, we're making choices about where to spend our money and our attention. And um, I think our goal is to help people make informed choices. Yeah, I love that. I have a, a very similar sort of kind of parting final thought here, which is that, you know, we're just consumers just like you know, everyone else probably out there, you know, listening to this and we're, we're trying to stay smart about what's happening, uh, stay in the know, uh, be, be a vehicle for the dissemination of, of a lot of that, uh, new news and, and kind of wayfinding, you know, through the opportunities because it can be very confusing. Uh, it can be, uh, hard to decipher. Right. Um, and there is so much innovation that's happening quickly. So, uh, as a student of it, I think ourselves, uh, as a, 
as a just geek about it and and want and and wanting and and, le- and loving the study of it, yeah, it's just like let's find a way to help all of us sort of wayfind through the stuff together because uh, it's always changing um, and no one's ever really you know the expert all the time about this stuff. So let's just keep talking about it and and find find our way through this stuff together. So. Uh, Thank you for listening in today. Uh, great conversation. Uh, let's keep it going elsewhere. You can engage with Jana and I through a couple different channels. Uh, number one, check out Hyperlink uh, through our magazine. You can go to hyperlinkmag.com uh, if you don't have our first issue. And our second issue is in uh, or on its way. So get ready for that. You can sign up by email on our landing page to to get sort of the the heads up uh, before anyone else when the, when the second issue is coming. Uh, second, you can check us out on Instagram. Uh, look for us there at Hyperlink Mag. And as always, you can just go to winningedits.com and sort of use that as your your nexus point to figure out uh, all the other ways that you can find us, uh, talk to us, ask us questions. So uh, for now, uh, thanks a bunch for listening, and we'll catch up with you next time. Here at Winning Edits, we are proud proponents of the Oxford comma. We find that it helps avoid unnecessary confusion in writing, and we like to end each episode of Hyperlink Radio with an example of how it adds significant clarity and often avoids misunderstanding. Here to help me with today's example is Winning Edits production editor, David Grabowski. How are you doing, Jana? So here's the example. I was twerking with the puppies, Miley Cyrus and Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> And the way it should have been written is so it would read, I was twerking with the puppies, Miley Cyrus, and Jennifer Lawrence. It's just much more fun with the Oxford comma, too, because not only are you with two amazing stars, but you also get a herd of puppies to twerk with. (laughs) But without it, then Miley Cyrus and Jennifer Lawrence are puppies, and that just seems so creepy. (laughs) That would be really unsettling if you, you know, if you brought home a puppy for your child, let's say, and you get through the door and you're like, oh, no, it's a Miley Cyrus puppy. Because then you just have, like, bad (laughs) pop songs, and it's, like, singing all the time. Although if it's a Jennifer Lawrence puppy, then you have a Oscar-winning actress as a dog, which is kind of nice, I guess. Who kicks ass in the wilderness. Totally kicks ass in the wilderness. Wait, which movie are you referring to? <laughs> Hunger Games, of course. Oh, Hunger Games, right. It, it, wasn't she in, she was in Winter's Bone too, right? Oh, yeah, also Winter's Bone. Yes. Two examples also, of Jennifer Lawrence also kicking, kicking ass, ass in the wilderness. In the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, thanks uh, for your help. Yeah, anytime. And um, yeah, just make sure you check your puppies before you bring them home because you never know which one of them might be a pop star. Thanks for listening. Next week on Hyperlink Radio, join contributor Ray Sylvester as he explores the complex issue underlying a simple term, net neutrality. The best way to understand it, he explains, is to ask yourself one question. Should your internet service provider be selling you bandwidth or should your ISP be selling you content? This question is at the core of what could be the defining issue of the information age. Is the internet as we know it in danger? What's on the horizon? Ray takes us inside the battle in part one of a series on net neutrality next week on Hyperlink Radio. To find out more about Hyperlink Radio, visit hyperlinkradio.io, where you can find show notes, bonus content, links, as well as other episodes from season one. Stay connected to Hyperlink Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening and stay connected.